0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro. I am temporarily joined here by the cat that appears in uh, my bio as a very self-absorbed guy named Pasta. He won't be quiet uh, so I can record, so instead he's sitting on my lap. So if you hear any purring, uh, I'm not glad to see you. It's uh, it's Pasta. Um, <laughs> we have a great show for you here. This is our final Full length feature episode uh, for the season. Uh, There will be a few more, but in shut episodes, uh, a number of them actually. Uh, But uh, this is the final feature episode, and I will be interviewing Jim Ziskin for this, or uh, James W. Ziskin, if you want to go by his uh, uh, book cover author name. Super cool guy. I think you really enjoy. Uh, what he has to say he he writes an interesting series that's uh uh, different than anything that i write and i find that fascinating to to delve into Uh, but first i need to let you know that uh, wrong place right crime is sponsored by down and out books and down and out books is an up-and-coming publisher that publishes dark and gritty crime fiction Uh, pretty much stays at that end of the spectrum although they uh, dabble a bit Uh, Usually Eric Campbell comes on the show to uh, talk about what books are coming out, uh, but uh, we weren't able to make that work this month. And so I'm going to tell you what's coming up uh, at Down and Out Books. Uh, A few things that tie into the show, actually. So coming out all uh, plus or minus a month of uh, when this show drops, uh, you've got uh, Colin Conway's uh, entry in a grifter song called... Lost in Middle America, and uh, we had Colin on the show to talk about that uh, just uh, a couple episodes ago. And also, Jim Wilski's Losing Streak, episode 6 of A Grifter Song, will come out there on June 1st. Uh, Jim will be on the show to talk about that. Also coming up on the show, another down-and-out release, uh, Die Behind the Wheel, which is uh, one of what will be two different anthologies, both of them inspired by the music of Steely Dan and uh, edited by Brian Thornton. So that's coming uh, out uh, in June from Down Out Books. And then uh, also Matt Phillips' book Countdown uh, will be out in June, and Matt will be one of the uh, final episodes uh, of the season in an open and shut episode to talk about his book Countdown. Uh, and, of course, uh, on June 10th, uh, the book I wrote with Colin Conway, Charlie 316, will be released. So, the incident happens on June 10th. Please check that out. We're pretty excited about this release. So, that's what's coming up in the, uh, in the month surrounding this episode uh, from Down and Out Books. If you want to learn more about Down and Out Books, you can go to downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com, Down and out Books take the journey with us and now let's meet jim ziskin Uh, well hey jim welcome to the show thank you frank good to be here Uh, i appreciate you coming on it was kind of last minute uh, due to some cancellations and uh uh, you were gracious enough to step in so i really appreciate it so obviously i want to talk about ellie stone quite a bit uh but before we get to that uh, let's, let's find out a little bit more about you as a person and a writer uh, before we find out about Ellie. And, you know, I went to the gold mine of, of information tech and, uh, in, in today's world. And that is your website. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so, uh, I, I found this out actually at left coast crime, but, uh, it's there on your website as well. You are a linguist by trade.
1: Yes. Uh, I studied uh, languages uh, for many, many years and uh, then went on to have a career in subtitling, uh, which was uh, unexpected, I think, as much for me as for for anyone else. My dad, who, you know, put me to, through college and wondered what I was ever going to do with a degree in romance languages. But uh, it ended up working out. So, yeah, so I studied uh, uh, French and Italian and some Spanish and some German and um, even some Hindi in later years. So. That's
0: something that we have a little bit in common. You're far more accomplished than I am, but I I was a linguist in the
1: military. Yeah, I don't know Um, if that's true. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, you've got a pretty good resume there
0: far fewer languages uh, than, than you there. What's your level of fluency with these different languages uh? Uh,
1: French and Italian very good um, I've spent mm-hmm. a lot of time there I, I taught both of those at uh, the University of Pennsylvania when I was a graduate student so I, I taught beginning and intermediate uh, French and Italian. My Spanish is pretty good but it's more it's more I understand uh, you know the Italian kind of interferes if I try to speak spanish because they just sound alike you know
0: yeah but, yeah. Uh, that, but those, that's what made it easy like when them. i went to italy was the yeah. fact that the two were so
1: similar yeah um but uh and and german it's uh, you know i don't have a high level of german i, I took some uh, uh it was a reading course in german when i was in graduate school uh we had to pass a german reading test uh so it was like a six-week course and what i found was you know i learned all of german you know grammar basically in six weeks and then Forgot it all in the next six weeks, because <laughs> if you learn it that quickly, that's what happens. And it was really just an, an exercise in, in, you know, with a dictionary. Could you read and understand, you know, these scholarly mm-hmm. texts in German? And that's that's all it was. And I passed the mm-hmm. test and that was the end of it.
0: Yeah. German is such a guttural language compared mm-hmm. to, say, Italian, especially Italian. Uh, but all the Romance languages have a much more uh, they're much more aesthetic uh, orally, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I always just enjoyed them. I mean, I started with French when I was in high school and I went to France one summer when I was in high school and met some young Italians who were studying there. And then that got me interested in Italian. So and, you know, then I studied those throughout college, language and literature. And again, uh, afterwards, you know, I worked at NYU. Um, I was the director of the Casa Italiana, which is a cultural center uh, at NYU and quite quite a quite a nice one now. And then from there, I went on into into the subtitling business in, in Hollywood. And that was a lot of fun. For about 17 years, I did that. How does that work exactly? If, if you're lucky, they'll give you a script to go with the video. You definitely need the video. You can't translate a movie or a TV show without it. Um, and then uh, we would create basically an English subtitle file to match that movie or TV show. And that is heavily edited, and it's very carefully timed and... Um, you know edited so that it works well as as an English subtitle file and then we send that out with the movie to be translated into into as many languages as uh, are requested by the client so sometimes as many as 50 uh, but oh, you wow. more, typic, more typically it would be like you know 11 13 or so sometimes 20 21 languages
0: as a writer i mean you you're very aware of how important the subtleties of language are and when you talk about going from one language to the other it seems like there's a lot of potential obstacles there where things don't directly translate or the the innuendo doesn't work in that language or or things like that how do you overcome that
1: well one of the things that we we did was we would annotate the english file so we would look for idiomatic expressions the things that are difficult in, in you know that are every language has them but things that look innocent enough you know like a technical term or disease names you don't need to put a note for the translator on how to translate that that they'll look it up you know bronchitis is going to sound similar or whatever it, that's that's the word for it but you know if you have idiomatic expressions like you know to dry to dry up to dry out to dry off these are very subtle or not so subtle differences in english they look innocent enough but to dry out you know, if you're a if you're a, a drunk, you know that we need to put a note there. You know, yeah, he spent uh, you know a month in a in a hospital drying out. You know, so we would say drying out meaning what it means. You know, weaning yourself mm-hmm. from alcohol or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so, not that he was put, extremely wet,
0: and it took a while to get exactly. Dry. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so you know, and we would put uh, you know notes like that for things um sometimes for you know cultural references that might be obscure and and not obvious right away you know if there's a sports terminology or a metaphor Mm -hmm. or something like that 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 isn't immediately uh recognizable to a to a a foreign speaker of english um you know we would want to put that in and you know sometimes people would argue and say well they're professionals you know you know why should why should we be doing this for them and it's like well do you want a correct translation or not because Mm -hmm. They might be in a rush. They might think they understand, and maybe they don't. You know, by adding those notes, we did. We felt it gave us a more uniform quality and accuracy across languages, too. You know, language is so, you know, subtle and different and and, and difficult. It, 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 I have a tremendous respect for language, and I think people who don't understand language think that it's, you know, oh, just uh, have a machine translated or something, and that just doesn't work. Mm-hmm.
0: Was there a particular film you worked on that was more difficult than others?
1: Uh, they were all, you know, they all presented their challenges. Um, like I said, we hoped to get a script, but we didn't always get one. There was a very big movie about, uh, I don't know, when was that? About 12, 15 years ago. And um, there was a made-up language in the movie. It was set somewhere in outer space. I won't mention the name. We did the the, the theatrical release of it, and then they came out with a special edition with eight more minutes or something. And in those eight more minutes, there was this language and there were all kinds of uh, dialogue in that language and we had no script for it. And so we contacted the client and said, you know, we don't know what they're saying here. It's a made up language and um, they kind of were just didn't want to be bothered with it. They want us to solve their problems. And they said something like, oh, oh just go ahead and translate it. And I said, we don't have a translator <laughs> for that language. It doesn't exist. And then, of course, they went back to the studio that, that actually produced the film and they, they had the, uh, the text and what it was and what <sighs> it meant. So we were able to do it. But, but that's the kind of thing you get sometimes. You know, in the subtitling business, nobody, nobody cares about subtitles uh, at the studios unless you get it wrong. They're not going to call you to congratulate you and say great job uh, but they will call you to say you screwed this up and somebody complained so uh, you know we're, we were there to solve their problems and and if we had to call them with questions that that was you know that they weren't thrilled with that but uh, i mean i think they appreciated the job we did but it was it was filled with you know those kinds of challenges you know i prefer uh, subtitles or captioning uh, to to dubbing, for example, I just think oh me too. dubbing dubbing just never looks or sounds right it takes and, away the original
0: actors yeah, uh, yeah. nuances completely exactly when you were doing the uh, the post-production subtitling and uh, closed captioning that uh, were you already uh, writing Ellie Stone at that point or did that come later?
1: Uh, that came later. I had written before I had gone into that i For years had wanted to be you know a writer really since i was you know 12 years old and i you know wrote a couple of books along the way that were really bad and each one got a little bit less bad um, you know through college and graduate school and then and then in the early 90s i guess i i started uh, you know writing something decent and i had an agent at that time but uh, we never sold the books so then the career kind of really got in the way. The subtitling came after that. And, uh, and I spent, uh, again, those 17 or so years in Hollywood, you know, so, so I wasn't actually writing at the time, maybe from time to time, I would write something, but it was really, you know, maybe near the tail tail end of that. Uh, later in that career, I did start writing again.
0: Well, I want to ask you specifically about Ellie, but, but one more question on the, on the linguistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that your fluency and your exposure to other languages has had a significant impact on how you how you write in English.
1: Oh, absolutely! I think I I, I became a, just like a grammar fanatic. I just love grammar. I think it's fascinating. It's because I love language, and it's it's not the the rules of grammar necessarily, although I, I find those very interesting. And you know, we all you know kind of decide how, how uh, precise we want to be in our spoken and written language. But I, I mean, just like the internal grammars that, that we all have without even realizing it. The thing that makes us able to communicate with each other um, and, and in a mutually intelligible language. You know, if you say something that is agrammatical, grammatical, people won't understand you, you know. Um, so it's, it's kind of this cloud like, you know, uh, continuum and people are maybe on one end of it or in the middle of it or on the other end of it but uh, as long as they still understand each other that's that's they're speaking that same language or or at least a, a flavor or a variety of that language so that kind of grammar i find just fascinating and and i i just you know love thinking about language that way and i think that translates into into the writing also ellie we'll talk maybe more about her but uh, she comes from a family uh, that's, you know, kind of a very cultured family. Her father was a, a professor of Italian, and uh, so she knows Italian. And, and he was a polyglot, so kind of maddeningly so. I mean, he, he would, you know, use all kinds of just odd phrases in foreign languages with his children. And, um, and so she, she did grow up around that a, a lot. But I think it has affected the way I, I write. Um, I, I like to... I, I don't want to say play with language, but I really like to do more than just tell a straight story in my, in my prose. And since it's a first person narr- narration, I think that every line that Ellie writes or that Ellie describes, uh, it tells you not just about the scene or about the characters or the people she's meeting, but it tells you a lot about her as well.
0: Well, that's an excellent segue into Ellie Stone. So uh, she is your main protagonist or the protagonist of your main series. And that started with Sticks and Stone back in 2013. What was the genesis of of, uh, of Ellie Stone and that first book?
1: Well, I what I wanted to do was, was, you know, we all try to think of, oh, we need a character who's interesting that, you know, is going to hopefully grab the attention and people's interest, uh, readers interest. So I was thinking, you know, what would be a good um, I, good type of character to have as my detective? And, um, you know, I don't write cozies um, and I don't write police procedurals. I don't have that uh, that expertise. But uh, I thought, you know, what other um, you know, professions lend themselves to to like investigations? And I thought, you know, it could be a lawyer or uh, I settled on a, a reporter since I had a little bit mm-hmm. of Kind of journalistic experience. It wasn't like newspaper reporting, but you know, uh, I I liked setting my stories in the past. So these take take place in the early, very early nineteen sixties. Why is it a, that you like it, them? In I, the past? I like to be transported when I read or watch something. Mm. So you know, that that could be to a different place or even a different time. And I and I just really kind of enjoy both of those. So I like to go to uh, you know a different time. So so i picked and this time worked for me because i didn't have to worry about modern forensics and you know and uh-huh. technology kind of outpacing my stories and my expertise you know I, I feel bad for anyone who wrote books in the you know 90s that had like the aol login sound or something because that <laughs> sounded really high tech because it doesn't <laughs> anymore you know and it just goes so fast you know uh, the technology these days whereas it was pretty Pretty stagnant at that point. Uh, in in the like in the early sixties, you had you had telephones, you had television, you had telexes, you had you know electric typewriters maybe, but you didn't have home computers, you didn't have DNA testing and things like that. Mm. Or so um, you know, I thought I could I could write something with a detective who relies on um, you know his or her wits. Uh, more than on technology and cameras or, you know, like surveillance cameras to solve Mm -hmm. crimes. And then I thought, you know, well, what could make it even more difficult? I wanted to make it as hard as possible for my character. And I thought in the early 60s, well, why not make her a young woman? And um, that that would be just every day she'd go, you know, be butting her head up against, you know, people who underestimate her, people who don't take her seriously People who think a woman shouldn't be working, or she should be in the home, especially in a provincial setting, uh, as I've got in my books, this small town of New Holland, New York, uh, which, which you know, it's 1960, but it kind of maybe feels more like 19 the late 40s, maybe because it's not <laughs> a big city and it's you know, it's not yeah. a sophisticated place. So, mm-hmm. so that was um, that was the idea there. I really wanted to um, put it in an interesting time and then create as much you know, overturn as many chairs in front of my protagonist as I possibly could and make it difficult for her. My wife sometimes uh, used to say uh, when she would read, she would be reading one of my books and she'd say, why are you so mean to Ellie? You know, because there are just (laughs) things that I, that I put the obstacles that you place in front Uh of her, you know, and and Uh that's what makes it interesting, I hope.
0: Yeah. If she has a smooth path, then that's pretty
1: boring. Yeah. Like Superman. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. I know he has kryptonite, but usually Superman just, he can just, you know, take anybody. And that's, that's not all that interesting to me.
0: Yeah. Batman is way more interesting than Superman for sure. Uh, You have currently six Ellie Stone books out. The first of which came out in 2013, the most recent one last, last year. And I am reading the fifth one. (laughs) That's the first one I've read. Uh, I got it and uh, you actually signed it. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm reading that one. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. I like Ellie a lot. And I like the subtle hand that you, that you write her with. Uh, She catches things and she doesn't make a big deal about them, but she notes them. And uh, uh, there's a scene in cast the first stone, which is the book I'm referring to where she's trying to get access to a potential crime scene. Uh, in Hollywood. And there is a police officer who's kind of controlling access and telling things to the reporters. And, and, and it's a struggle for her to even be included in that group by by him. Uh, But then she gets a little one on one time with him to to get some information. And of course, what happens, right, is he hits on her. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And so and she but but she handles it with aplomb, you know, she handles it very gracefully and and with an eye towards her, you know, if she, he's going to try to use me, I'm going to figure out how to use him and make it work. And,
1: and so it's an interesting approach. Yeah, this is um, that's Cast the First Stone is is the fifth book, as you mentioned. It takes place in Hollywood, uh, just for anyone who, if anyone listening who hasn't um, read it or knows about it. It's um it, it, it the connection to that small town in upstate New York where she works as a newspaper reporter is that it, this young guy from that town, New Holland, lands the second male lead in one of those hollywood beach pictures from 1962 so they send ellie out to go you know do a feature on him because the whole town is going crazy and they're so proud of this guy and of course she arrives and he's on the first day of shooting and he's nowhere to be he's a wall from the picture and he gets fired immediately and then the next day they discover that the producer of the movie is dead and uh, and this tony the guy from the hometown becomes the number one suspect so yeah ellie's trying to get into the producer's house where the police are giving the press a tour but yeah they look at her as you know the girl reporter all the time and i know there were some you know women reporters uh, obviously in the early 60s but they were in a, they were definitely in a minority uh and pro- and usually treated kind of you know they weren't taken all that seriously
0: uh, I mentioned six uh, L.A. Stone books. They've done pretty well in terms of recognition. I mean, I'm, I'm actually looking at your webpage now that has all six of them laid out. And I I see one, two, three, four, eight, eleven, twelve different nominations or, or finalists, rather, or winner mm-hmm. of uh, some pretty prestigious awards here. We're talking the Anthony, the Barry... The Lefty, the McCavity, and of course the Edgar, which is like the Oscar
1: for us, yeah. right? Yeah, no, it's a thrill, and uh, and I'm very humbled by it, and, and just very proud of it too. Uh, it, it it it's been a wonderful run after uh, after the first book. I, I think every one of them has been nominated at least once for for one of those awards. So it's very gratifying, and it it means uh, it means a, the world to me. So yeah, I'm staring at the uh, at my wall where I've got several of the uh the certificates kind of they're framed and they're up on the wall and it's always nice for inspiration i don't win that many of them but i've been finalist for 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 12 as you said yeah uh, yeah it looks, Coast, looks like he, finalist but uh but um mm-hmm. it wasn't it was lou Burney's year yeah that was
0: a pretty tough one to go up against yeah, the november a road was book. one hell of a book a
1: great book yeah All of the books were, I think all of the categories and, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people will say things like, well, you know, it becomes a popularity contest and it's but I I really don't buy that. I think nobody nominates a book just because it it, it stinks, but they really like the the author. Nobody does that. So um, and, and, you know, I looked at not just the best novel, best mystery category, but also best historical, best first, best humorous. I mean, these, these were murderers' rows. Really, some great, mm-hmm. great books and authors uh, up there. So I, I kind of trust the readers to to pick wisely. So so that's why I, I I really truly feel honored by you know by the by the nominations.
0: When you think about how many books come out every year, yeah, uh, just to, just to be nominated is, is is massive, or to become a finalist is just and, massive. And you know,
1: Frank, I'll tell you this. You know, a lot of people have told me this, and I, at first I didn't believe it. They said, you know what? It doesn't matter if you win. It is enough just to be nominated. And I think it's true because I can't tell you how many people have said, oh, my God, Jim, you've won every award there is. And it's like, no, I haven't. But you think I have. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been i maybe have been a finalist for several of them, but, you know, it's uh-huh. not the same. And but so that 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 kind of adage is true. It's like, yeah, it, it's it's enough just to be nominated. People think you win.
0: Yeah. And you're well, you're in like you said, you're in great company when that yeah. when that happens. Uh, speaking of these nominations, a lot of them come from specific conferences, like the Lefty Award that you mentioned is the Left Coast Crime Co- Conference each year. The Anthony comes from the Bouchercon uh, mm-hmm. conference. Um, you were on a few different a few different panels at the Left Coast Crime Conference most recently uh, mm-hmm. in March of two thousand nineteen. And uh, you know, at least I hope I'm remembering this right. This might have been a bar conversation as well. <laughs> I could be uh-huh. wrong, but we, uh, you spoke about um, how you handle, you know, sex and violence, and and I guess what would be the equivalent of a movie rating level for your Ellie Stone series and what your philosophy is mm-hmm. uh, about that. And I was just wondering if I thought it was very interesting, I was wondering if you'd share it with the listeners.
1: Sure. In my books, Ellie is a is. She describes herself as a quote unquote modern girl in 1960, 61, 62, which means what you think it means. Uh, she likes, she enjoys her drink, and she occasionally ends up with, with uh, a gentleman. Uh, but none of that is on the page. I, I don't think I'd feel comfortable, you know, putting that in there. As a matter of fact, I, I did a, taught a seminar once, and, you know, a one day seminar, and, um, And on the subject of sex in your books, my advice to writers is remember that your mother is going to read this, you know, and and, and write accordingly. (laughs) So, you know, for
0: for me, it's my dad. Yeah, he's he, I, I, he, he's a big reader. He loves my books. He loves a lot of different books. He reads a ton and he never fails to say, look, I don't mind a little bit mm-hmm. to let me know these two people dig each other and mm-hmm. that that's, they're super sexy, but, uh, I don't want details. I know what happens in the bedroom. I don't yeah, need to, yeah. this, you know, erotica basically. And- yeah.
1: You know, it's interesting because <laughs> my dad, uh, who's 89, um, and he's a great reader and, um, he reads all my books and, uh, his comments are, um, well, he, he's very complimentary toward them, and, and he's not in general that type of uh, person. So I, I really take those compliments to heart. He likes my writing and he likes the books. He says, but, he says, Ellie is too free with her body. <laughs> 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 and it's just, well, you know what? People, it, people have had sex since the beginning of time, and you know it, she's a single self sufficient young woman modern girl, as she calls herself and um again, it's not on the page I don't describe mm. uh, sex as a matter of fact, I was on the sex panel at the uh, left coast crime mm-hmm. this year,
0: and i, I and that.
1: i think I think that that might be the last they might not want me back because I probably wasn't very <laughs> interesting and also it's i mean it's a fun panel but it's it, it's a little embarrassing and i and I said to my wife, you know You can ruin your career in five seconds on that panel if you say the wrong thing.
0: (laughs) We'll get back to our interview with Jim in just a moment. But uh, now is the time on the show where I like to turn things over to the experts for a few moments. And by experts, I mean people who can uh, give you some recommendations on uh, good books to read. That includes other authors. It includes super readers. Includes people who work, work at bookstores, uh, especially the independent kind that uh, focus on mystery uh, and crime fiction. Uh, and over the past couple of episodes, uh, we've had a series from Jim Thompson. Uh, And uh, we're going to finish that series up with this episode here So Jim is an independent editor and a writer And he is talking about uh, several books uh, that were all good books But uh, had one thing in common and that was a a difficult third act Um, I'll let him fill you in on the rest Here's Jim Thompson
2: So I'm talking about new thrillers that have a thread in common, which is problematic third acts, but great beginnings. And the one I want to talk about right now is Bleak Harbor by Brian Gruley. Uh, Brian Gruley has been off the scene for a while. He, he wrote uh, three volumes of a series um, back about 10 years ago i think he's been out of the scene for five or six years he's come back with this great new standalone novel set on the shores of lake michigan involving a missing autistic teen and how the search for that is uncovering secrets in the lives of several people connected to this case brian gruelly has just got the stuff he's very lean very tight um very much shows off his uh, his journalistic chops. Um, he, he works as a journalist. But there was a big twist at the end where we find out one of the key characters is not at all the person we thought they were. And I felt we were given no hint of that twist to come. So I found it fairly difficult to swallow. I think other people's mileage may vary. So I'm not going to pass a pure value judgment on it. It, it just took a weird turn into high stakes thriller territory from a relatively small town tale that I found kind of jarring. But again, it's one of these books that I think you should pick up, you should enjoy and see what you think about the ending. It may not be your thing. It wasn't mine, but uh, the, the craft is definitely there and it may well satisfy you on all levels. And the one I'll talk about today is uh, River Road by Carol Goodman, which I believe came out about the middle of 2018. And this is a story set in winter in upstate New York in a college environment. And uh, I believe this is a debut novel. The prose is really well done. The uh, atmosphere is taught and it centers on a Professor at a small college who may or may not, while drunk, have hit and killed a student uh, with her car. So there's a lot of, well, maybe she did, maybe she didn't, maybe some mixed her up. Um, And all of that is really well done. And then, talking again about problematic third acts, we reach a point about 75, 80% of the way into the novel where the bad person is revealed and then the bad person and the uh our professor heroine uh sit and talk about every plot point for about oh i would say 20 30 pages it's it's just the most talkiest confrontation ever every plot point is neatly spackled over even as the killer makes it clear that that person is going to kill our heroine and it reminded me of a A movie that came out about 20 years ago starring Ben Affleck, you may remember, called Reindeer Games, where Ben Affleck and Gary Sinise is the bad guy wind up talking and talking and talking, even as the gun is pointed at our hero. And at some point, it was just like, something's got to happen here. And of course, what happens in these stories is they talk so long that the hero figures a way out of their predicament very improbably. And you know orders restored throughout the land but again it's this is one of those novels i really enjoyed up until that point and i won't not recommend it i can't give it my wholehearted endorsement and i'd be interested to hear uh, what people think about those final pages <laughs>
0: Hey, thanks, Jim. Uh, normally, that feature is a straight-up "Here's a book you might love" sort of thing, uh, but uh, I think it's uh, it's nice to hear a little bit of a different take sometimes. And in uh, all of the instances that uh, Jim reviewed these books, he uh, was pretty clear that uh, your mileage may vary. And uh, most of the book is great, just a little trouble with that third act. Uh, so uh, now let's get back to somebody who doesn't have any trouble at all with third acts: Jim Ziskin. Uh, for people who weren't there, it was uh, moderated by Holly West, who's yeah. who's pretty hilarious. She is wonderful, and she forced each of you to read a passage uh, from a uh, what was that? It was a the, that...
1: every year in the UK they do this uh, worst sex scene uh, award, and um, and usually it's I think usually from a, like a so-called literary novel. And they are just so stunningly bad, these passages. And just you wonder where was the editor? Who, where, why didn't the editor say no? You cannot write this. This is just awful. And so we each had to read one, and each one was worse than the last. I I think I think Reese Bowen might have had the worst one to read. Poor. For Reese, uh, it was just they would just but she had
0: the accent, so yeah, it, it, yeah. it it uh classed it up a little bit, yeah. And um, <laughs> I thought Lou Burney was hilarious when Lou he was, read his was, because he could absolutely it hilarious. took him like 10 minutes to
1: get through a 30 second reading. <laughs> but Lou, the, and, and speaking of Lou, they all mentioned the the that very explicit sex scene near the beginning of his book, November Road, which won mm-hmm. the best mystery, and it's a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it, you know, that's a scene that you would not find in an Ellie Stone book, I can just say. But right. that's because I, I, well, my mother uh, is no longer here, but, you know, I still think, you know, somebody's mother is going to read this. And so I don't want to put that kind of thing in. It's it's I, I behind a closed door <laughs> and the scene ends and then, then it takes place. One of the great things about this, this genre and this community um, and these these conferences, which are just the highlight of my year, It's just you meet so many brilliant, talented, nice, funny people and, you know, somebody like like Lou Burney and 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 Laurie Raider Day and Reese Bowen and just a couple of examples. I mean, they're just hugely successful and um, and just it's a pleasure to, you know, to hear the repartee and, you know, Mm -hmm. on a panel and they're just so clever so quickly and. just a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm afraid I let down the side a little bit because somebody told me, Jim, you looked so embarrassed through the whole thing. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, now you, do, you go to a number of these conferences, don't you? I do uh, Left Coast Crime every year. I do BoucherCon every year. Uh, There's also Thriller Fest, which I sometimes attend, but I don't really write thrillers. I write mysteries, mm. kind of traditional mysteries with hints of noir. But I am planning to write a thriller, so I suppose I'll be heading there. Uh, In uh, two weeks, I'll be at Malice Domestic, which is a traditional mystery conference, uh, more in the vein of like Agatha Christie. For me, I don't care what the subgenre is. I care if it's if it's a good story and good writing, you know. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the cozies are actually quite funny. You know, so a friend of mine. Uh, well, I met her through a conference and, and through her writing. And uh, Wendell Thomas, uh, who, whose second, I guess you would call it a cozy, but it's so wickedly funny her books. Um, and the latest, the first one was called Lost Luggage, and the second one was called Drowned Under. Uh, and it features this kind of madcap. It's very farcical and madcap kind of uh, stories with a with a, a travel agent from Brooklyn who gets into all these adventures around the world. Uh, But just to give an example, that's a cozy technically, but it's so funny and so well-written that I would read anything she writes. And her name is Wendell Thomas, just to drop a name, but highly recommended.
0: Well, you are definitely, uh, you're like the mayor at these conferences, I think is what they called you uh, last (laughs) time. I I was at one up there at Left Coast this last uh, March. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's a fair uh, assessment? I, a
1: friend of mine, Christine Carbo, who is a, just a wonderful writer, writes a series set in uh, Glacier National Park. Christine is the one who who coined that. She said uh, it was a couple of years ago, and she just looked at me and she said, "You know, oh, oh you know, you 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 know everyone here, and you're always, you know, laughing and having drinks with everyone." She goes, "You're like the mayor," and so that kind of stuck. If it if it were somehow um, you know, phony on my part, I'd probably be insulted, but it, it really comes from a very genuine place. As I mentioned mm-hmm. before, I just love these people so much that, that it's no effort and it's just uh, uh, it, it, it comes naturally to, to be gregarious at these things, whereas I really never was in, in my past my past uh, um, career. Uh, my wife once came with me to, or, to uh, a conference and after about five minutes in the bar, she just looked at me and, and she just was befuddled and said, who the hell are you? She goes, <laughs> I worked with you for years. You were miserable. You, you hated everyone. She goes, look at you now. And I said, well, it's, and I, I, I don't think I had even realized it, but uh, it's true. I mean, if you really like the people you're with, you know and then it then it, it comes naturally so yeah so I, I I'm very proud of being called the mayor
0: well and and that setting that you're talking about it, it you feel very much like you're with your tribe and so it's it's easy to feel happy and included and uh, but it does take uh, you know because writers are a large percentage of us are, are introverts, mm-hmm. and yeah. to to have someone like yourself who uh, engages people, draws people in, connects people, uh, I think that has a huge social uh, impact. I think it's pretty big.
1: Yeah, I like to introduce people, you know, like friends who are maybe new to conferences, and I, I really make an effort to to include and and make sure that you know they they get introduced to everybody in the group or come out to dinner with us or something like that because you know um it it's it is a community and it is a, a tribe and uh, there's room for everyone it's not mm-hmm. we always say it's not a zero-sum game if my books mm-hmm. or your books sell doesn't mean that somebody else's won't
0: we, we had a different side conversation at uh, left coast as well about uh, the level of research that you have to do for for la stone How how much research do you have to do to effectively write uh, these books that are set in the early to mid '60s?
1: Well, there's you know I think there's research in any book um, that you write. Um, I mean, maybe in a you know contemporary literary so-called literary novel, maybe not so much, but in any crime novel, um, you know, if you're writing present day, there's a ton of research into the technology Um, and. I always say that, at least in my books, the early set in the early '60s, the research it's not a it's not a moving target. At least you know things, as I said before, were only moving so quickly. I didn't have to worry in '61 to '62. Did did they invent uh, you know high speed uh, you know Wi-Fi or something like that? You know when did that come in? I don't have to worry because nothing was changing that quickly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now jets, okay, jets came in before. Uh, like jet travel, just like, sh- you know, shortly before. Um, so those were there, but you know, there's still, there is the amount of research for the book I just finished. that's coming out later this year, Turn to Stone. Um, you know, I, I get into the, to, to the weeds sometimes. Ellie Stone goes to Italy in this book because her oh, father man, was, a, her late father was a, 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 a professor of Italian and he's being honored posthumously with some awards. So they invite her. And so, OK, how does she get to Italy? You know, I know they certainly Pan Am and TWA and Alitalia, they were all flying there. But then I get stuck in the weeds sometimes, saying, how does she get from from the airport in Rome to the train station in Rome to take the train to, to uh, Florence? I could just put her in a taxi, I suppose. But, uh, you know, I think that, they, they, you know, doing the research to find out the shuttle situation. And they definitely had shuttle buses. The airlines had them. Uh, And again, you know, as I I do, as writers, we can blur where we need to if we're not sure of something and Mm. the reader doesn't necessarily have to say, hey, wait a minute, how did did she get there? But as long as it's not blatantly wrong. Yeah, exactly. So, but, uh, you know, but I saw there's a movie called, I think it's Gidget Goes, Gidget's Italian Holiday or something like that. It was made in 1962 and my book is 1963. So I just looked at it online uh, and sure enough, I see her climbing out of uh, an Alitalia shuttle bus in in downtown somewhere in Rome. So obviously she went from the airport to Rome in in a, in a in an airline shuttle bus, a little mini bus kind of thing. It said Alitalia on it. So I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So the research can be fun, but it can also, you know, really be a rabbit hole and you kind of disappear sure. down it for hours. Um, but, you, you know, it, it goes back to my, uh, the subtitling days. I had a kind of a mantra and I trained editors to to do this for years and I, I the like the first rule was know what you don't know that's really easy to say and really hard to do because we all think we know things and guess what you know sometimes we're just wrong you know so i i am very careful with with like terminology that wasn't in use at, at that time oh uh, yeah i yeah. try to you know uh, i've got a new practice for the last couple of books where i actually insert notes for my editor, I'll, you know, highlight the word and, and I'll say, yes, this word was being used at this time. Here's the <laughs> re- here's the reference, huh? you know, and there's an <laughs> Internet site of some kind. But and, and listen, we all make mistakes. I think Philip Kerr sure. even some once somebody at, at a signing. Uh, the late, great Philip Kerr. Somebody asked him, uh, you know, oh, you have an error in this book. Did you know that? He, or, you know, what do you say about that? And he says, of course, there are errors in my books. It's a novel. It's a historical novel. There are going to be small errors. As long as right. you can have a healthy attitude about it, you know, mm-hmm. you definitely want to do good research. And so, you mm-hmm. know, I do everything from trying to visit sites to uh, reading books, reading newspapers, watching TV shows. I th- might have mentioned to you, uh, in in uh, Vancouver, that for the book that you're reading, cast the first stone. It's 1962 Los Angeles, mm. and uh, part of my research was to watch like three or four seasons of Perry Mason, because right. they were filmed in Los Angeles at that time. And so the, the the styles, the the way people were talking, the cars, everything like that. And they filmed a lot of it outside in in Los Angeles. So it was it was very good and also i lived in the hollywood hills right in that area uh, that's that was my neighborhood um of course many years later but uh the course in the course of my research i came across things like the the detective that the cop that you mentioned is named uh, john Millar. and uh, if you look at the 1962 los angeles phone book and, and uh, in my address the, the house that we own in in los angeles The person living there in 1962 was named John Millar. Millard. Yeah, so I just (laughs) took the name, you know. I thought it was fun.
0: (laughs) That's pretty cool. Yeah. You've kind of had an outburst of short stories being published uh, uh, recently, if if my detective work is
1: accurate. Uh Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah, I wrote uh, last year for the first time in 35 years, I decided to write uh, a short story, and then I wrote three more. So... Uh, I wrote four last year, three of them now have appeared, and the fourth one comes out in a collection in June. Three of them really were in these anthologies of short crime fiction, and the one coming out in June is another one, and it's it's uh, from Down and Out Books, and it's a it's it's a collection of stories based on the music of Steely Dan. So everybody got a song, uh, and you. Let your imagination go and write mm-hmm. a story that kind of thematically illuminates that song somewhat. And so I, I ended up with um, Reeling in the Years, which is a fantastic song. Yeah, it's like they're uh, probably their
0: biggest, isn't it? It might
1: be, yeah. Nobody, nobody had taken it. I don't know, but I, I kind of took a fun turn with it. Uh, my short fiction, I think I, I tend to to go with kind of humorous or mm-hmm. attempt to be humorous, um, <laughs> more so than than. My Ellie Stone books. There's humor in Ellie Stone, but it's the stories are serious. It's just she right. has a, a, a way of looking at the world, and and she can be wickedly funny, mm-hmm. Um and especially when she's taking a a man down a couple of notches, you know, a couple of pegs, if, mm-hmm. if you know, when they underestimate her or hit on her or something like that.
0: Yeah, I've seen that already. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so that's one story. You had uh, something in Strand Magazine as well called Bed of Roses.
1: Yeah um yeah it's just a, a story um well i don't want to give it it's a short story so you say anything it kind of gives it away but <laughs> yeah uh, it gives way too much but it's in the current issue of strand magazine which is a wonderful magazine of mostly not mostly but it's very heavily sherlockian you know kind of mm-hmm. in its you know the fiction that they usually publish that often that they publish is you know in that vein and the covers all have the their old these old paintings of London that look very much like a you know dark and stormy night uh, where mm. Holmes would be out investigating something, but mine is not that at all. It's it's a it's a more modern thing. And,
0: and then you know, I know that you now. were in Eric Bietner's, uh one of his Unloaded anthologies.
1: Yes, the the theme of the Unloaded books. There are two of them. Um, is that uh, the only the only thematic uh, requirement or? prohibition is that you can't use guns in your story which was no big deal for me because it was only in my last book uh, stone's throw book number six ellie stone where a gun was used to do the murder that's the only time in six books Hmm. i'm a i always say i'm a big fan of the blunt object or (laughs) you know you know like a crime of passion so you don't see guns in my book it's not because uh, it's not uh, it's not a political statement in my books it's just like uh, in the heat of the moment somebody strangles someone or they Mm -hmm. you know or they hit him on the head with something. In my books, but um, so only in one book did they use a gun. But in the in the um, the unloaded anthologies, uh, Eric came up with the idea of of just the, that would be it. There would be no guns in the stories. So in mine, I guess I used a blunt object. It was a moving car. So that's, <laughs> that's fairly big, blunt, <laughs> pretty big blunt object. And and it and it, the story is really it's a it's a meditation on race, racism, names, what we call people, what we call each other, how we identify ourselves. And it features an escaped bonobo ape from (laughs) the (laughs) zoo.
0: I'm going to have to read that one. I haven't read that. That that was was
1: fun, but it it turns, well, it starts out very lighthearted. I saw one review that mentioned, Oh, on a lighter note, but it's like, damn, it turns quite dark actually, (laughs) this story. Um, it's not just all, all fun, but, uh, Dark it's humor kind of a, and an Eric Beatner
0: yeah, project; yeah, I, that, yeah. those two don't go together at all. Yeah,
1: Eric Eric does a <laughs> wonderful. You've written, uh, you've collaborated with Eric. Uh, yeah, yeah, wonderful. yeah, and it's uh, yeah, they,
0: he is great, and he can write dark, humorous yeah. action really well,
1: uh, very yeah. well. Eric is known as the hardest working man in crime <laughs> for sure, and and he, I I just think he's going to break out sometime soon. It's just it's just a matter of time. Uh, I think his latest book is, is, is getting uh, some great attention too. But uh, yeah, Eric deserves it. I totally agree. Completely
0: agree. Uh, In the three books we wrote together, uh, he won the prize in all three for the funniest slash grossest scene. He managed to do it in all three. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and then you, you, the other story I think is uh, in, uh, something to do with voting i think it's the one that travis richardson was talking about it yeah the um,
1: the the, that anthology was called yeah i should have called it out obviously it's called low down dirty vote and misty misty berry uh edited it and it was her you know labor of love and her brainchild. um to and all the proceeds of the sales of the book go to the aclu to combat voter Pressure. Suppression. Mm-hmm. So and, and if anybody finds that a, an offensive uh, cause, I, I don't know what to say, because if, <laughs> if you're for vote, voter oppression, then, you, you know, that's just not good. So, yeah, mine mine was I guess you've got a stream of consciousness. It's just a, a, a woman talking. And after a few minutes, you get you start to realize or maybe it's more than a few minutes. Yeah. A few minutes you realize she's talking to the police and she's giving a statement. But she's um, kind of chatty and and telling the story of what happened. Um, her uncle is was was dying in the hospital, and he was in, you know, he was he has dementia and he was kind of out of it. But then suddenly he sat up in bed and admitted um, he claimed he and his brother, in other words, the narrator's father, who is a U.S. congressman, participated in a crime 40 years earlier, and that's the heart of the story. Is hmm. what is what is what happened then and you know it's it's a nice it's a really really good um anthology and you know they're they're short stories they don't take too long Mm -hmm. uh to read but they they all have good heart and good intentions in these so yeah and misty did a wonderful job on this uh
0: before we close out i did want to ask you uh how you ended up as part of the seven criminal minds blog
1: i was invited. well i first of all like to welcome you i think next week is your first your first column. Yeah, by uh, the time, time this flight. airs,
0: it'll be uh, – yeah, it'll be out by the time and, this airs.
1: And just for anyone listening, it's – it's actually, it's called Seven Criminal Minds. It's a it, – but we're actually 10. And so we're on a two-week rotation during the weekdays, and we take turns writing on – each week, there's a different topic, and, and all five people write about that topic. And recently, we – I invite – well, we all vote on it, but I nominated Frank – um, and he was enthusiastically seconded and, and, and received. And so he's going to begin next week, I think. Um, it's a very lively blog, uh, a lot of fun. And I got involved about two years ago. Um, I am trying to remember who approached me. But one of them, they said uh, Alan Orloff was, um, was with them for years. And Alan was saying I've, I, he had put in his time and he was going to move on. And so I took Alan's place. And since then, um, we've added Abir Mukherjee, who is, uh, he joined just about a month and a half ago, I think. And Abir is, a, he's um, an, an amazing novelist. He writes a series set in post-World War I Calcutta. Uh, wow. And it features an English uh, cop, a military policeman, and his assistant, the, his Indian assistant. Um, and it's, it's really great stuff, historical, uh, really, really good stuff. And Abir joined us. And so now I think we've, we've achieved a perfect five and five. I think we have five women and five men now. So it's, it's, you get a lot of different points of view. And, and one of the things that attracted us to you, Frank, is really your, your background and your writing, obviously. But, you know, the, the background, I just thought it would be a wonderful thing to have a real expert in police matters. Uh, writing for us for a change (laughs) the other another reason one last point about the seven criminal minds is I'd seen you we had met at a couple of conferences a year or two ago and and I had seen you on panels and I was so impressed that I went up and and introduced myself to you and told you how much I enjoyed it and that's another reason that I thought you would really be great on our on our team so oh that's great great to have you. you that's
0: really kind of you I appreciate that well, it's definitely an eclectic group and, and, uh, I'm excited to be part of it. And I yeah. wanted to, uh, tell you publicly, thank you for, for thinking of me oh, and, uh, and really thanks for being such a great guy at these conferences. It, uh, it, it's, I know I appreciate it. I know other others do and, uh, as well. And I guess that leads me to saying thanks for coming on the show because I appreciate that too.
1: Thank you for having me, Frank. It's been great.
0: Well, there you are, folks. That is pretty much uh, everything I could get out of Jim Jim Ziskin in the time allowed. Uh, great guy, uh, really been really kind to me and my friend Colin. when we went up to Left Coast Crime there back in March of 2019. You know, gave us a great blurb for Charlie 316. Just a a really nice guy. Really believes in making uh, making it possible for everyone to be as successful as possible. And uh, uh, he certainly deserves the uh, Uh, The good karma that he's been getting, and uh, he definitely deserves the attention uh, for his Ellie Stone series because uh, uh, they're great books. I I really encourage you to to check them out. Uh, On our next episode of Wrong Place, Right Crime, we're going to have an open and shut episode with Brian Thornton to talk about that uh, Steely Dan anthology I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Die Behind the Wheel. So Brian will talk about uh, how that came to pass and, and a little bit more. I'd like to say uh, thanks to Jim for coming on the show and uh, also Jim for coming on the show and doing a review. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks to uh, Down Out Books for sponsoring us uh, since the beginning. Got about four more episodes for this season all open and shut. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.